brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Bandwagon Nerds is taped in front of a live studio audience. Dwellers, it's your good friend Patrick O'Dowd welcoming you into this week's edition of Bandwagon Nerds, the post-holiday edition, and we're going to be reviewing some movies as multiple studios spread the streaming holiday cheer releasing films on the 25th. We talked about it last week. Warner Brothers and HBO Max released Wonder Woman 1984, and Disney Plus also released the new Pixar movie Soul, both of them available if you had subscriptions to watch on uh, on your home television, so you didn't have, even have to leave the theaters to go and catch it. As I mentioned before, my name is Patrick O'Dowd. This is Bandwagon Nerds. We're part of the Chairshot Radio Network on thechairshot.com. I am not alone. As usual, I am joined by the usual cadre of fellow nerds. We've got the live studio audience, PC Tunney. We've got the Reverend Ray Cash and the lawyer himself, Mr. David Ungar. Gentlemen, how are you doing today? Ray, can I keep calling you the Virgin Ray Cash? Is that is that all right? Can I keep that name for you? Oh, he's the Reverend. Well, yesterday I was I was <laughs> given the moniker of the Virgin. I can't say it's earned, but I was given some, it. Some some reverends are virgins. Not all virgins are reverends. That's the joke I made. However, I I, I fall. You yes, I have kids, so I you know. Um, <laughs> You're the Heath Slater okay. of the bandwagon. I, you have kids. I got kids, bro. I got kids. Um, I mean, you know, it's a good day post holidays. Um, I think all four of us, our hearts are a little somber today with the news. Yeah, we'll, I don't we'll, we'll talk. We'll talk about that yeah. at the end of the show. I got it. All, I added it to the agenda. I know exactly where you're going. Yeah. Um, so, oh, yeah. I'm doing good though, man. Doing real good. Yeah. Um, Dave, I, I got to give you a hard time. Just, just a brief hard time, and I know that's a shock. Not, you know. Not that I don't normally give you a hard time. When you uh, ridiculed me 
in regards to Christmas and Jews celebrating Christmas, as you talked about how a Christmas story is like one of your favorite movies of all time. When I was trying to wish people happy holidays. Why, why the hypocrisy, man? Why, why did you, why did you try to inflict that upon me? <laughs> it just seemed like a fun thing to do. Uh, that, that's the only reason. Yeah. Little I, I, I just wanted to pick on you. No, you know, that's very fragile emotionally, you know? Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. You are. When I think of fragile, emotional, emotionally fragile people, you jump right to mind. So yeah. I, I believe that. I cried myself to sleep that day. I was like, why does Dave pick on me? It was, it was very sad. It was very I, sad. But I, gotta... I knew that, you know, that it's not like I'm a hardcore Orthodox Jew. I don't have the, you know, the long tendrils. Not that I could grow them anyway, but, uh, tough crowd, tough crowd. Tony needs to take that recording back. You're going to abuse that thing. A toothpaste is already out of the tube. <laughs> I, I gotta tell you, I said this last week on the show. Like, I get it now. Like, I didn't get it before. Like, I didn't understand why Greg DeMarco just would, like, why he's so drunk with power. And yet now I, I can't help it. Like, I just, I, I, I love, I love it. And the live studio, it's a live studio audience, Dave. They're here with us, right, studio audience? Yeah, there you go. That's what I like to hear. Exactly. See, they're right there it's with like us. Being it's on the set time. of Happy Days or something. It's great. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, we're going to spend most of this show today. We're going to talk about the big two movies. Now, I know Dave confessed uh, at the zero hour after I'd already sent the rundown out that he hadn't caught Soul. Tony, you had had some streaming problems with Wonder Woman 1984. Were you able to finally catch it? No. no, oh no, what happened? Uh, I didn't have time again. <laughs> it's, I mean, it was a two and a half hour movie, so I get it. Like, it was, it was a long one. We could we'll never, get to it. we could never, you get, guys, you can, go ahead, you can talk about it all you want in front of me. I'm not worried about the spoilers, to be honest with you. Um, so well, that's good because this show's still. not spoiler free. <laughs> yes, but I, I did see Soul, so I'll be, I'll be there for, I'll be, well, I'll cool. be more so in tune Tony, Tony can make up for me. I can make up for him. But we could never get it to work on the laptop for some reason. But on the iPad, it started up. So I don't know why or what. what Disney Plus? Uh, no, Wonder Woman 84. We couldn't get it. on huh. Like on the laptop, it just wouldn't load it. We got the screen that Tony got. Um, and, but then I went in and, and did it on the on the iPad, and it loaded right up. So we had to watch no it on a smaller screen, but it's all right. And no troubles on the PlayStation 4. I know it worked It worked fine running through our PS4. That's where my next move would be if I'm going to do it. My Roku TV was fine, but I caught it early. Like I caught it at like 12 o'clock. So. That's cool. Yeah, I uh, we made it a double feature uh, with the Little O'Dowd. So the Little O'Dowd and I, Friday night, Christmas Day, uh, Christmas night, we did our usual stay up late sleepover thing. And we back to backed it. We watched Soul first and then we watched Wonder Woman 1984. And we are going to break them both down today. Uh, and in lieu of no no shows uh, for the next couple of weeks, this kind of works out nicely. But before we got into that, I did want to talk a little bit about news that has hit this week. Some of it's not new news, some of it's old news, but news that's hit this week about this whole conversation we had a few weeks ago in regards to streaming the, these movies being released immediately to streaming versus being released in theaters first. And then eventually, we're just going to roll right through. Who cares about post-production? Sure. 
right, Tony. Am I right, Mr. Chair Shot, Chairman of the Board? <laughs> and then I just brush it off. Uh, so, yeah, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago when Christopher Platt decided that it was the end of entertainment as we know it and that everything was going to fall down around our ears and we're all going to die. It's going to fall apart. What's what's going to happen? Wild, wild west and all that. Well, coming out of this announcement, we are starting to see, we're seeing the first kind of major salvo and the pushback on Warner Brothers' decision to go to streaming as Legendary Pictures uh, is suing Warner Brothers to keep the th- theatrical release for the film due. And that this could be the first major stumbling block. And there's been a couple of pieces to this. Uh, one, that Legendary is asking for somewhere in the neighborhood of around $250 million from Warner Brothers to keep the Godzilla versus Kong movie streaming. But the other big one is that they are fighting Warner Brothers on the decision to make Dune available on HBO Max for a month uh, simultaneously with theaters and that there may be some real tractions to this because they're going to fight it. What I uh, what I found interesting, and, and I'm you know going to probably lean on you a lot on this one, Dave, is apparently Legendary Entertainment financed 75% of the budgets for both of these films that they're fighting to keep on release. So I present. I, I guess the question is, can does Legendary have a case here as to compelling Warner Brothers to? Uh, release these release the- theatrically. Uh, man, that's <laughs> it. Probably depends on what's in the contract, as it usually does, as to what kind of deal they struck. Whether, yeah, we finance this, but if the ultimate, if the ultimate right as to how to distribute this movie, and on what platform and in what manner, was vested to Warner, I think Legendary's probably shit out of luck. And and especially now when when you're talking about we want two hundred fifty million dollars because this is what we anticipate we would lose by the movie theaters. Then you got the other story that I know we're going to talk about with Wonder Woman bombing box office wise. Um, you know, and it, it, it's like now you get to the point where okay, you're asking for basically liquidated damages that are speculative as fuck because mm-hmm. you're you're basing it on stuff from two years ago. Hey, we want what we think we would have made on this two years ago. Yeah, you may be right, but this is an entirely different world. So, um, I mean, the fact that they've got a vested interest in this because they put up so much of this money and they've got an expectancy on a return on investment, they've got a case, but it really, to me, it seems like it really comes down to what's in the contract, what's in the fine print, the details, what is the liquidated damages clause in there? Most contracts have something like that, especially when you're dealing with big corporations like this. Uh, They've got to have something in there as to in the event that this happens or this happens or this happens. And you got to figure that with the pandemic going on, that these companies kind of renegotiated as they went along, maybe added some modifications to the contract. And that's that's what's really interesting because what is being reported, according to Legendary, they're saying that they were blindsided, quotes, and that's the quote, blindsided by Warner Brothers' decision, and it's working on a solution to preserve its franchise potential by letting it premiere exclusively in theaters. Legendary is preparing this case because I guess their big argument was is that they were left out of dis- out of the discussions to make this move by Warner Brothers, and it sounds like their argument is, hey, we funded 75% of this. We deserved a place at the table with regards to what happens with these two movies. 
See that I don't buy. I mean, you shaking your head, you shaking your head. No, I don't buy that because just because you put up the money for you know the fight, you you funded your own movie. Most studios I'm imagining probably do the same thing. Um, it, it really, really depends on you're saying you guys blindsided us. I mean, it, it's going to come down to the contract. Is there a material breach of this contractual relationship? That's what it all comes down to. And if they didn't have the right discussion at the right time between legendary and Warner brothers, and they left it up to them, how they want to get the product out there. I don't, don't think they're going to do so well with this lawsuit. Yeah. If they don't have legal controlling interests, who cares? They could put up all the money they want. They don't have a say in whatever the studio that they gave the money to to actually make the movie. They don't have any say. And I, I'd be curious to, to know if if it is contractually obligated from a financial standpoint, is is it based in per- percentages or absolutes? Because if it's based in absolutes, they could just break them off their cash and be done with it. If this is based in percentages, then I think there's a, a legit argument because those percentages would be based on what would be made in the box office. So I mean, those are the things that are interesting, interesting to me. It's also interesting to me that in this world, they're not going to make what they think they're going to make in the box office anyway. So I don't see why, why it's such a, a, a fervent need to get this in the theaters when, as Dave alluded to, the next thing we're going to talk about is going to happen to every movie that comes out. Look at Tenet. Yeah, Tenet did not do well at all. Do you think they'd be better off though to say, well, we're going to keep, we're going to start in the theater, and then once you go under a certain number, then we're going to switch it over, and people are going to be able to get it on whatever streaming service? Do you think? I know it's not going to do like Ray said; you're never going to do those numbers you normally would, considering society. But do you think it would have done? I mean, two or three times better than it did, considering it was so poorly received at the theaters. But do you think that's just attendance? I mean. Do those? Do you think those people that you take away the streaming option? Do you think some of those people actually go to the theater in the first couple weeks? No, not not now. I don't. I mean, maybe in the past, sure. A big a big blockbuster like like Wonder Woman, you know, yeah, I would have been there, you know, within the first week, sure, under normal circumstances. Now, I, I mean, anything involving the movie theaters right now is is just as speculative as the other stuff we're talking about. You you cannot, you can't base financial projections on a model that just doesn't work right now. And, and and that's the big thing is like, we want this X amount of dollars and damages because we think we're going to do this based on what, you know, Mulan did okay in China. Uh, Tenant did abysmally in China. Wonder Woman, not much better. So yeah, if you're looking at the business model on which you're, you're kind of coming up with your estimate as to what your damages are, good luck because I don't think that model exists and I'm not sure it ever comes back. And and strictly from a theater model, take away the looming fear of the pandemic. Just going by the legal, uh, what the what the states and the municipalities and the, you know, every what they what they've sanctioned. I, I can't speak for you guys, but I know in Harris County there is a six foot mandate. So, yeah, they they can't even fill out the theater. So even if they did open up, they're not going to get, even if they opened up and sold every ticket they could sell, that's still going to be at 50% capacity at best. So, you know, it's a lot, it's a, it's a lot of different things that you could add up to this. And I, I just don't think they have much of a legal claim. Well, and I mean, the great thing about this is we're, we're going to find out 
I do. I don't blame legendary though for pursuing this, right? Like, I think that if you're legendary, you got to try. I think, interestingly enough, you know, Dave, you talk about potential earning. I, I think the battle is worth more over Godzilla versus Kong than it is Dune between the two. Like, if we wanted to talk, like, I think what's what's fascinating to me and what strikes me, and I guess we can get right into this part as well. When you look at what this model so far has done and what the first foray has done, if Wonder Woman 1984 in China only made $34 million, what do you really think Dune is, is a, is a bigger earner than, than, than Wonder Woman 1984? Like, and I don't think Godzilla versus Kong is a bigger earner than Wonder Woman 1984. But if you want to talk about a bankable name, that's, that's the bankable name, right? I, okay. In theory, yes, but in theory, if I'm, if I'm, forgive me if I'm jumping to conclusions or if I'm standing on my soapbox again, but there is still that stigma about a movie led by a woman in other parts of the world. So I don't know sure. if that had anything to do with it. Maybe it did, maybe it didn't. But Dune, you never know with a movie like Dune, but if you look at the cast, my God. Well, yeah, the cast is great, but... I mean, the cast is great for, for Wonder Woman 94. And you even talked about Tenet. Tenet did shit, right? Like, Tenet did shit. And, and it had a great cast. So I don't know that I 100% buy that. Wonder Woman 1984, sure. by the way, to just kind of shift into this, Wonder Woman 1984 did terribly at the international box office. It only generated $37.5 million, $18 million of which came from China. And if you'll remember two weeks ago, when I was kind of downplaying, you know, Platt's concerns, I talked about how China as an emerging market would be enough, kind of based on what you talked about, Dave, projections of what we've seen in the past. Like when you look at how certain blockbusters did in China in that market, using the Avengers as an, as an example, I thought this would be a no-brainer. and. You know, whether it's, you know, what Ray's alluding to with some just some inherent stigma, uh, whether it's just that because of the streaming service that was available made it more susceptible to piracy, which is the other thing is it talked about there being a surge in piracy uh, of the film. And that, I mean, one of the quotes if there's a larger implication here, it's that any worries over this film becoming one of the most pirated pieces of content in history are now significantly higher. That's according to Sean Robbins, uh, the chief analyst of Box Office Pro. And yeah, this is this can't be what Warner Brothers thought or what what Warner Brothers hoped for at all. Yeah, I mean it's it's not it's not good. You know, I, I and I don't know what the numbers on other DC movies like the first Wonder Woman, what it did in the Asian market. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, that's got to be disappointing to them. But but really, like I think we mentioned it when when you first posted the article about the numbers. Are we really surprised? I mean, you look at the timing of everything. Christmas weekend amidst a, 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 a not just a new surge of the pandemic, a mutated, more contagious version of this thing that's going around and people just stayed away in droves. Right. And, and I mean, and I mean, yeah, maybe it was super pirated, which is 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 like it's like it's free on HBO Max, but you got to pay for the subscription. Um, 
so maybe piracy is a bigger issue on this thing than we thought. But I, I wasn't really shocked to see the numbers because just because of the timing of everything. Um, but it, right. it, it's got to be disappointing to Warner. And, and, and it makes you wonder, OK, do they rethink this whole thing or, or does that really kind of give them the mandate to go in the direction that they've decided to go? It's like, look, the, we're not going to make shit in box office draw. We need to get these things out there and, right. and, and make it back up on the subscription end and, and get these, these, these um, you for, know, properties out there. For reference, Wonder Woman in 2017 made $37 million in China. So you know $37 million down to $18.8 million. So you know what I'm saying? And yeah. Wonder Woman made what? Uh, almost $800 million domestically? Whatever it was, I don't know the numbers, but it like it killed domestically. How how did uh compare by comparison? What did like I don't know. Let's take. Uh, I'm just curious. Some property like what did uh Ant Man do <laughs> in the Asian market? <laughs> just, I mean, because it, it's it's that. It's, I mean, I can yeah. I'll I'll effort that for a second. Yeah. Well, um, I I want to jump in here first before because I, I I do have an opinion on what Dave said, but. I don't know. I know that there are different sanctions for certain things in China or countries like that because of the regime. Do they have the ability to stream this movie in China through HBO Max? Or was their only way to watch it in the theaters? Because I think that's a big precursor, too, of any impending doom or concern that Warner Brothers would have. I wouldn't even want to hazard a guess whether HBO Max is available in China. But the reason so, I bring that up. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Pat. Well, no, I don't think it's widely available the way that it, like HBO Max is not widely available in China the way it is here. So, Dave, you were asking um, just Ant-Man and the Wasp. And again, different times. According to this, worldwide, Ant-Man and the Wasp did $622 million at the box office. $121 million was from China. You see what I'm saying? So there, but in it, maybe it might not just be because it's a female led movie. It could just be that they are more attached. The Asian market, Chinese market, more attached to Marvel, the MCU than DC, which wouldn't be surprising either. We'll look up Captain Marvel then. Okay. Yeah. See how Captain, Captain Marvel did pretty well. I thought in China, but hold on. I'm on box office. I'm on box office mojo right now. Let me get there. And while you're thinking, I don't think I don't I think Warner Brothers kind of any I think anything they get out of the theater is found money for them. Yeah. So and and, and be aware, I mean, Captain Marvel was one point one billion worldwide with all releases. Its original release. Let's see. Let's see if I can find the breakdown to server error. Please try again soon. That's not a good sign. And man did like six, what six and a half, six six fifty, something like that, six sixty, and yeah, they did a hundred and twenty in China. Yeah. So what's their ratio? China, one one. That's like what? What's that? Fifteen percent? One six? So, so Captain Captain Marvel in China did a hundred and fifty four million. You see that ratio? Six is yeah. In its original six. release, <clears throat> its twenty twenty re release bumped it up a little bit. So they did 154 million for Captain Marvel compared with what 38 million for Wonder Woman in China, oh, yeah. not the original Wonder Woman. So, yeah. not ideal. Yeah, I mean that that kind of does 
add some credibility to the fact that they just the MCU resonates more with them than the DC movies do, which isn't surprising, really. I mean, but uh, but yeah, I, it just like you're saying, Ray. I think right now, anything you make from the theaters, it's just it's like icing on the cake at this point in time. It's really just a bonus because they're just not going to do those numbers right now. I mean, it, it's just not going to happen. I mean, pff, you're, you're looking at a year away. I mean. If they stick, if Marvel stick and Disney sticks to the whole Black Widow releasing in May, uh, you know, it'll do better than Wonder Woman 1984 for sure. But it's not going to do anywhere near the numbers that they that they're anticipating. I don't think Not at this point. There was a point it could have gotten close to a bill at this point. Not even close. Dave, you brought it up. Does this become the launching pad for Warner Brothers to push their case to the streaming decision. I mean, you know, speaking analytically, <laughs> analyzing this like a lawyer and just looking at it, you want to base anything you're doing on empirical data. And now they've got empirical data on which to back some of this stuff up and say, look right here. You guys are bitching at us about these numbers that you're not getting. And, uh, you know, if you think that Godzilla versus King Kong is going to do as well as Wonder Woman 1984, maybe, maybe in, in like Japan where Godzilla's, you know, <laughs> strikes terror into the hearts of many Japanese people. Um, maybe that'll do it. But, uh, you know, Dune has no hope of matching Wonder Woman 1984, I don't think. So if you've got numbers like that, and you can point and say, you guys are bitching about this stuff, and if you think you're going to do half of what Wonder Woman did, you're probably being overly optimistic. So, yeah, I do think it gives Warner some ammunition to say, we tried it this way. You know, we put it out there simultaneous release yeah i mean if you couldn't have watched it and that's the thing if you couldn't have watched it on at home would people have gone out to the movie theaters in bigger numbers probably not does the piracy issue give credence to christopher platt's concerns about what this does to content creators or is this just the evolution of something that's always existed because pirating movies has always existed. I mean, everything from walking down a street corner in New York City and finding DVDs in a box of movies that came out yesterday. I mean, Jerry Seinfeld uh, having to tape the movies in the theater for Kramer. It was a right. hilarious episode. I mean, that, that stuff actually happened. Yeah, that's a real thing. I've seen those. And this is different because all you got to do is intercept a stream and now you've got it, you know, and that that's that's a piece of cake as opposed to bringing in some handheld camera and bootlegging something onto onto the Internet. Uh, it's a lot easier now. All I got to do is hack into somebody's HBO Max account and there it is, you know, copy, paste. Here you go. It's widely disseminated. I, I would say it does add a little bit to what Chris is saying because you've got an aspect where they're completely cut out of the equation. But you can say the same thing about HBO Max got cut out of the equation. And and anybody affiliated with the movie, when this thing gets pirated, they're all cut out of this whole thing. So it, it's a systemic failure if they're talking piracy numbers like they're like they're talking. And, and here's the other thing that I thought about. How much you know, we're I think we're thinking of piracy in the sense of like Joe, what's his name, steals the stream, however he steals the stream. What about I give my username and password to my good friend PC Tunney so that he can watch it at home. Isn't that basically the same kind of thing? Like Tunney didn't buy the stream. 
or like buy the subscription. He's using my subscription from his home in Wisconsin, where I am in my home in Massachusetts. Is that the same? Ready yeah. with the specifics. No, I don't have any of Patrick's passwords. He lives anymore. next door to Lambeau Field, Mr. <laughs> Superfan. I, I don't I don't think so because I sincerely doubt that they expect for you to watch this movie one time. No, not at all. You have 30 days to watch it over and over and over and over again. So if you have 30 days to watch it over and over and over again, why do they care how you watch it or who watches it with you? I mean I, I, it's that's that's a fair question. I yeah, I just it's one of those things though when you when you kind of think about it, like you know, some services will limit the number of devices that can actually be on an account to to try and mitigate stuff like that. But like, I remember when Disney Plus dropped. Remember when Disney Plus? Opened? I I don't know about maybe it's just my social media thread, but there were so many people who were like, can you, is there a friend who loves me who can give me their Disney plus login information so that I can watch stuff too? Like we, we, it's also just kind of how we view media and who owns it. Like with the streaming service, like we don't, I, I think a lot of people don't think twice about sharing that information with somebody and, and not thinking that that's, you know, a way that somebody now is not, is now getting a service without having to pay for that service, but it really is. But people are very casual about that. But if we say, oh, you pirated a signal, like clutch our pearls, right? Did you? Well, I don't know about that. I, I mean, I used to watch pay-per-views before the WWE Network on less than savory, savory ways. <laughs> hey, don't, no. don't give up the game, bro. Come no. at me, feds. Come at me, feds. Speaking, I'm right here. Speaking of the feds, I'd say one is. I would say here. Can I just? I just want to comment on, okay. that, on that on that difference, Patrick. I would say. One is 100% specifically someone's fault for intercepting a a feed illegally or going to a website and watching it. For the other way, I would say the majority of the fault lies in the provider for not limiting devices, et cetera, et cetera, because or or maybe it's their, you know, you don't think that they they allow some leeway there? Like, okay, cool, you know, no big deal. I right, yeah. It, it's it, it's none of it is. It's all boy. If you want to go religiously, it's all a sin. <laughs> it's all a sin. Okay, there you go. Go. I love going it. 20, I like watching this tiptoe this line. <laughs> going, but I mean, if you want to talk about like right and wrong and morals and things of that nature, going twenty seven and a twenty five is wrong. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like everybody, sure. like 99.9% of people break the law every single day that drive a car. Hey man, yeah. never. And I'd never yeah. speed. Um, more, more than once. Speaking of the feds, did you guys see this? I, it is the story that kind of flew under the radar a little bit, but they made illegal streaming a felony in the most recent coronavirus oh, relief package. Yep. 10 years. Or it would have been if it had been signed. Yeah, exactly. Trump saved Oops. us from that. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> But but I, I mean, the thing is, why in the middle of a coronavirus relief package, why would you slip that in there? That is some really odd stuff there, to put in there. There was there was you're, so you're much. You're a lawyer, Dave. You know why. Right. Oh, yeah. No one's going to see this. <laughs> and that's why all that shit is bullshit, because there's so many fucking hands in the pot that everybody's got to have their own little way to get the vote across. And what happens is. You put too many goddamn fucking seasonings in there, and it tastes like shit to everybody. Nobody right. likes. 
Yeah, I um, I didn't. I actually intentionally didn't include it because it didn't get signed. Like it didn't get signed into law, so I left it. I left it be. But it was. It's very alarming, and tells you a lot of again about about some some goals and how skewed those are. That we would make this a, a felony. And as somebody who works on a college campus, like there'd be a lot of felonies committed. Uh, I uh, I have a friend of maybe, mine who works in. Maybe we can get some more nonviolent criminals in prison. You know, right? Keep that, Always keep that, you know keep that. Oh part yeah, because yeah, prisons, prisons are no <laughs> population problem, none. Right, but so yeah, I have a I have a tax, friend. Yeah, watch your income tax go up too once Biden takes office. Anyway, well, we're gonna start that argument. I'm gonna I'm gonna. Also mentioned that our, 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 I'm not picking sides. I'm just telling facts. Your check will be less. Period. Well, but just to point point out that um, Trump's oh, no, cuts no. are actually getting billed back to you before like Biden's presidency before. has existing tax I don't like law. Either of them. I don't like either of them. So I just. I'm don't not saying you like either of them. I'm just saying we people are less money in your pocket moving forward. Plat the last 2020. We'll be- That's how you should have voted. <laughs> Uh, we can't get any worse we can't get any worse you like that that was that was the perfect slogan ray i just want to be able to have things like interstate highways that don't have holes in them and usually you need revenue to do that so anyhow we're not a political (laughs) you've driven this state this is the worst state of all i know you guys are trash you should pay more taxes oh anyhow We're going to put a bow on this conversation. We're going to move on before we have a political throwdown in the middle of bandwagon nerds. We're going to talk about Wonder Woman 1984 first because it did so poorly in the box office. And one of the things that struck me is the social media response, which I don't know if you guys saw, but it it really was all over the place. Uh, And I think there was... Maybe it's just because I'm a negative guy when it comes to this sort of thing. Like maybe that's, but all I seem to notice were like people were really disappointed in this movie. And I'm going to get like, I'll just, I'll give my kiss of death review. Wonder Woman 1984 was fine. There you go. That means that uh, Patrick wasn't digging it that much. Yeah. Fine. The Patrick means it was trash. So we know that. No, it is not Uh, true. It was not Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> Rise of Skywalker is trash. Um, but no, you're not the only one. It it that it, it seemed like the overwhelming majority of the 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 online thought online feelings towards the movie was either ah eh to bad, right. and a lot of it seemed to revolve around the fact that people either thought it didn't have enough action or or the story was boring. So, do you think part of this was anticipation not being met inevitably like just Every, the, it's just always the excitement, like that. Yeah. hype train level because it's so hard to meet those expectations right and this was a movie that was what six months late before I mean, we caved on it can can we think of any movie in modern times that's that's reached or even reached if not exceeded the hype endgame. other than endgame that's the only one i could think of infinity war yeah, but they're the same movie. But you know, they're a one, they're a two-part movie. But that's the only yeah. movies I can think of in recent memory that's had amazing hype and reached it if not exceeded it. So inevitably, it was gonna be some level of disappointment. But I, what 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 kind of caught me off guard was 
we're going to talk about Soul. And both of these movies, Soul and Wonder Woman, have very similar themes. And pe- right. everybody is, is like lauding Soul as this beautiful masterpiece, but they got a problem with Wonder Woman when it's coming from the same place. I don't know. That I, I had, I, problem isn't the word that I would use. Uh, in the sense that, like, I didn't have a problem with the sto- with the the story that was told or the narrative. I did find it incredibly slow, and I think that, and that's the thing is, I don't necessarily feel like it was a poor plot. I felt like it was plotting and a little clunky and kind of got in its own way in telling its story. I didn't need more action. The chase sequence in Egypt is yeah, terrific. It's great. Yeah. Uh, and for the record, I get why they wanted this movie to be in a movie theater. Mm-hmm. That that sequence itself, like the rising of the wall that uh, that shows up in Egypt after the wish is made, that has a completely different impact on an IMAX screen than it did on my fifty whatever inch, you know, four four K television. Yep. Which, by the way, HBO Max, catch up, get your shit on four K for fuck's sake, get it done everything not some of things everything you suck ass and you need to get on board all right enough of that um and the other thing i didn't care for was i didn't care for the way barbara minerva's story arc kind of resolved and came to an end like like i just didn't care for it too much it we talk about tropes a lot you know what it reminded me of like her story arc jamie fox in spider-man 2 Nobody notices me. I want to be paid attention to. I want everybody to like me. I really want this thing. I finally get this thing. I don't want to give it up. That I, I've seen that before, and I wanted more for Kristen Wiig than that. And I'm glad that she didn't die, like that her character is not dead, because that means Barbara Minerva is not dead, and that means she yeah. is not dead. And that means that she can come back, and she can continue to build that character and grow it. And it was just disappointing to me. And maybe that's... I'm not mad, Ray Cash, Rev. I'm just disappointed. I, I want to throw it to Dave, but I want to speak to your point about Barbara. Yeah. It was going to be very difficult to truly bring the actual way Barbara became the cheetah. It's going to be very difficult to bring that out with her finding whatever idol it was. And I think Felix Faust was involved. That would have been difficult. I think it was really okay. clever how they how they brought it apart. And I think the most clever part about it was there was levels to it. She got the power initially, and then she became the cheetah. At the end of the movie, she only lost the cheetah part because Maxwell Lord renounced his wishes. So she's probably still powered. Because remember, she made the her, she made that initial wish to be that Diana. She made her she when, made before her before the stone. Yes. She, she was um, the star. So, so I, do, I do see that as a as a thing, yes. Um I, I We've talked before, so I had the probably the most glowing re- uh, review or reaction to the movie. So I want Dave to go before I do. It's um, it's a hard movie to place, really, as far as as like looking at it as a whole and trying to say, what it, was it good? Was it great? Was it somewhere in between? I'm going to go with somewhere, probably on the more on the good side, a little bit higher than Patrick's. Um, there there are problems with the movie for sure. I thought Kristen Wiig was fantastic in the movie. Um, I thought it was clever how they brought Steve Trevor back a little bit. You know, that was interesting that it wasn't, he wasn't in a block of ice, you know, the whole concept of this wishing stone, uh, 
made things a little bit odd, you know, and, and the whole movie just kind of felt, I don't know. Now, when I compare it to one, the first Wonder Woman, it's it's nowhere near on that level, not even close. It's, you know, I mean, it's a DC movie, so I'm expecting it to be darker, and the bright colors really kind of throw me off a little bit. It, it's very bright and See, very vibrant. I'm, I'm going to push back on that. You got to get Batman out of your head, dude. You got to get Batman out of your head when you're thinking about DC movies. But that's people, That they, is what that's from, though. But if you compare like, that to DC the first Wonder Woman... Dark, it, but that was, also, that was also that was also in the that was also in the World Wars, so like it had to be dark and gritty. Right. True. True. This is nineteen eighty four. Nineteen eighty. Think about the eighties in general. What was the eighties? It was this. You you were what? You were in your teens, right? I was twenties. So I, you remember that that nothing cracked me up more in that whole movie than the walk through in the mall with your aerobics chicks doing the ass lifts and the old dude standing there watching because that was a real thing. Yeah. Like that was shit that happened. Or Steve but trying the, on all of his outfits. That was great. You know, that right. was, that was the really fat, funny. Fanny pack, the fanny pack was like, well, look, he's heading to an indie wrestling show. He's got his fanny pack ready to go with his supplements. Oh, speaking of that, shout out to the PWI magazine and the movie with Jerry Lawler on it. Yes, see that? that's right. right. Yep. I, I mean, uh, I, I thought, I thought the movie was good. It, it didn't it didn't live up to my expectations. And I think the problem still is that it's like, you know, my thing when I'm watching Wonder Woman 1984 is I'm going and, you know, I mean, what what where is this? Because Marvel's got us programmed into thinking there's got to be a continuity in, a, in an overriding overarching story. And with Wonder Woman 1984, I'm looking at this thinking, OK, this is fine for a standalone movie. And if that's really where we are, where it's just a bunch of standalone movies now, and we're just abandoning hope with any sort of continuity, then it's fine. You know, like you said, Patrick, it's fine fitting in there, but they do have this condition. The MCU has got this condition to say, we want something more. Where does this fit in? How does this tie in? Where, where does this, where is this in the whole, the whole justice league story? And maybe Zack Snyder's justice league ties this in somewhere. I don't know. I, I thought one of the best parts was the Linda Carter cameo in the post credit scene. That was fantastic. I popped for that one. Um, but it, it's, okay, it's a, shout out to Linda Carter for, you know, still, Jesus. She still got yeah, but I thought, um, I thought it was a good movie. Uh, it definitely wasn't great. The story is hard to follow. I don't think they didn't, you know, Maxwell Lord. I don't know if they captured him the way I think of Maxwell Lord. That's for sure. Um, Barbara's I'm, I'm but that I mean, Barbara's storyline is good the way that she progressed, but they did seem to like, you know, I, and I do, you know, shout out to them for implementing the invisible jet. They did bring that into the movie. We'd speculated about that. Um, you know, Wonder Woman learning to fly. I mean, sometimes in the comics she can fly. Sometimes she can't. Here they kind of made it cool where she tied into what Steve told her. And that's how she learned to fly. Yes, it was a great Hallmark movie channel moment. It was. It was and then she shows up in wherever they are in her full armor. And then the next thing you know, Barbara Minerva has transformed into the the cheetah and it just kind of happened you know so that felt a little rushed to me but otherwise it's it's a fine movie i, I mean it's it's worth watching a i couple mean i had times. all these problems with it but you know like at the end of the day it was okay yeah, exactly that's your nerd well, review well, from david ongar <laughs> for the for the record the part where she's flying and all of a sudden shows up in asteria's gear pissed me off like, did she fly back to D.C. to get the gear? She didn't have it in her pocket. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not like the Flash where it's in his ring, you know? 
you, so that bothered me. That that was a major point of contention. Yeah, I was like, wait, uh, how did she do that? You know? Yeah, uh, but I mean, you know, it, it's always something. Um, the Maxwell Lord part bothered me. <laughs> I gave no problem. I, I, no I, I want to hear Ray's Maxwell Lord stuff because I see if it bugged him too. It did not bug me. I think he was the best part of the movie. Um, and for the record, let's we we need to stop right now and say Pedro Pascal is the only person that's won twenty twenty. He is the only person that's had a good twenty twenty. Mando, yeah. this he's in the reboot to Spy Kids, like he's killing it. Um. He's in something else too. He's a major part, but he's whatever it is. He's killing it. I enjoyed it. I had the reboot to Spy Kids tip the scales for you. I'm I'm, I'm, mean, a, I'm a father, sir. Don't hate, don't hate on Spy Kids, man. <laughs> hey, when Spy Kids first came out, it was the shit. He's got he's hey, got big shoes to fill too. By the way, that's Antonio Banderas. He's trying to step in for. That's a great point. Yeah, you back the fuck off, Tony. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um. <laughs> The reason I enjoyed, and I actually did some research, um, because the Maxwell Lord I knew was really close, or remember, was really close to Vandal Savage or Simon Stagg, and that he really wasn't powered. It was just kind of, he, I'm not going to disrespect Lex Luthor by comparing him, but he was just a powerful businessman who was, was um, very ambitious. But the New 52, I believe, rebooted him in a way where he had powers that he could almost purple man powers of he could um he could coerce you into doing whatever he wanted something to that order so adding him with the dreamstone was a perfect way to kind of do that and i think it was also a perfect way to retcon a lot of issues they were going to have they were going to they were going to have the issue with how barbara got her powers that was always going to be an issue they retcon i think they retcon that very well we knew uh, Barbara. I, I I had no idea Maxwell Lord was going to be in the movie, nor was he going to be the big bad. But I knew Cheetah wasn't going to be. She couldn't be. You couldn't do a whole movie with just Cheetah, and you have to find out how she becomes Cheetah. So I knew there was going to be a linchpin in the story. So seeing his rise, I think, was very interesting. I love the Simon Stagg uh, bringing him up because Simon Stagg is a big dude, business wise in DC. That was fun for me. Um, but the part that I enjoyed the most about Maxwell Lord was he basically ended at by the end of it was a televangelist. And I like I popped so hard for that because ultimately, yeah, how is he any TV screen? Yeah. How is how is what anything he did, even the smallest wishes, any different than what um, uh, Peter sure. Popoff and all these dudes are doing? You know what I'm saying? So, like, yeah. I really got a kick out of that. But more than anything, I, I, you know me, I, I, I don't like the overly powered people. And the cool thing, the one part about Wonder Woman initially, the first movie I didn't like, was I didn't like her fighting Ares. And it, was, it was cool, but that was a down part of the movie to me. Because Giant versus Giant, like if I'm going to watch that, give me Godzilla versus Kong. Give me like destruction. I enjoy super powered people, like majorly, like un beatable people having to find a way to be people who they know they who they know they they can't fight diana all the movies all these people who were trying to beat her up she was doing going out of her way to not hurt them when they're in dc at the white house and barbara's beating everybody down she's catching everybody with the lasso 
all this because she just doesn't believe in hurting people unless she has to, right? Um, so I enjoyed seeing uh, Diana or Wonder Woman have to fight more with her convictions than have to fight with her fists. That's interesting to me because that story, because anybody could have a plan old fight. We've seen that a million times. And uh, going back to the history of Diana, nobody can touch Diana in a fight. That is the history of Wonder Woman going from the very beginning, the first time we've ever seen her in the comic, to now. So how do you beat her? You give her the one thing she wants. I thought that was such a clever way to get into her because all through a movie, she was like, look, I've sacrificed my whole life. I've sacrificed everything for the world. I deserve one thing, and I'm keeping you. And Steve had to push her to say, no, nah, get rid of me. He had to push her to do it to the point where she was getting shot and her body was being pierced. She's impenetrable. She's a god. So I, I, I love that dichotomy of it. And, I, and he was just his hammy self. Just, it just got hammier and hammier and hammier. And that, like, I really enjoyed how they played off of each other and the fact that they were around each other from, from the very beginning of the movie. So, and the story, I thought, was, a, was, was beautifully told because at the end of a movie, what do you remember from the movie? And what you're supposed to learn from this movie or get from this movie is ultimately that there is nothing more important than truth. And all that glitters is not gold. And, you know, in a world where DC, as you said, is super gritty, the shining light was always Diana. The shining light was always of, of the Justice League was always Diana. And they have they have they have painted Diana Prince in the DC universe, whether it's a multiverse or it's a Snyderverse, as the guiding light of that group. And I think that's important because without hope, and we'll get into hope when the, when the uh, lanterns come and all that, but without hope, nothing else matters. See, I don't have a problem with the message. It took too fucking long to get there and was slow and clunky and boring. And that, at the end of the day, like that's who, like the script itself and the editing within this movie the movie was just too damn long like for what it was trying to get across and what it was trying to do because a lot of what you talked about ray i don't have a qualm with the story and the the message you know if i had to retcon and rebook like if you want to talk about things that didn't meet my booking the only thing that i would have changed is i would have loved for maxwell's son's wish to be what actually did it all in as yeah. opposed to Maxwell actually renouncing it himself. Like, you know, like that, that his son, like I kept being like, okay, his son's going to be the one who flips this and pulls him back and, and kind of do it. And, you know, and they, they still got to that point, but I, I would have loved to have seen his son be the one to be like, I just want my dad back. And that, that be kind of the, the way that that told, but you, you can't really do that when you set up in the prologue, that this concept of truth like that you mentioned like that that you know we we get this scene where diana as a child she you know cheats to get ahead in a race and she's prevented from winning because she cheated and she is taught this very important lesson by robin penn that or robin wright not robin penn robin wright that you you don't your victory through cheating isn't a victory at all because it's not the truth. And so, like, I get that. I, I, I do dig that. I, I'm with you. I think Pedro Pascal 
has has been great. Uh, I love that um, that he's he's was able to sink his teeth into this. And you talk about hamming it up, like towards the end there, like as he's drunk with power, like he's he's hamming it up pretty hard as well. The, the meeting with the president is like a lesson in yes. how to be hammy. Which I think it's hilarious how many people went to Trump when that's clearly Ronald Reagan. But okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like I, I saw so many people be like, "Why did you? Why did you get all political and talking about Trump?" And folks, I hate to break this to you, the world, like you can't look at this world and escape politics anymore. Like you just can't. And if you're telling a story about the world and its unrest, that's political, even if it's told through the guise of a superhero. And here's the thing, Marvel's gone political. You can't tell me that Winter Soldier isn't a fucking political movie. Like, you can't. It's, it's a spy thriller, absolutely. Political right. thriller, absolutely. So, I, I'm sorry if you didn't, if you wanted a special bit of escapism out of, out of a superhero movie and you didn't get it, but, yeah, there's, you know, there's not no, an indictment on Trump. There's no politics involved at all in Civil War. None. Absolutely zero, right? <laughs> I, no, not at all. I will say this, uh, Ray, you brought up a good point. Uh, one thing when I was watching the movie through and, and I watched some of it again a second time, but like it, it didn't dawn on me first, like um, the impact that Diana, that it was having on Diana's power set where she struggles with that lock at the beginning. And I mean, in, in my mind, I'm thinking, God damn, why the hell can't she break a lock? And then when she gets shot and she bleeds and it's like, wow, you know, this is the same girl who took a headbutt from Superman for Christ's mm-hmm. sake. And mm-hmm. she should not be getting, you know, what kind of bullets are these? And then you realize as it goes along, her powers are fading because the longer she keeps Steve in, in her world, the weaker she's going to get. And I thought I thought they did that really well where that, you know, because it, 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 you're puzzled. You're th- sitting there thinking it's like bullets should not be able to hurt her. She's right there. Yep. I mean, like you're saying, no one can beat her. I mean, I'd say her and Superman would have a have had a hell of a throwdown on a few occasions. I mean, he's probably the only one who can hang with her. He's not a human, though. Well, not not from a human standpoint. Yeah, but but I mean, that's the thing. You look at you look at when she, you know, she's the only one who could stand up to him. And mm-hmm. okay, she shouldn't be able. You know, bullets should not penetrate her. Uh, so that was really cool the way they did that and the way they kind of backfilled that story. So you say, oh, I get it now. That's why she's bleeding. No, I, as long as they, they didn't say, do you bleed? That was as I was yeah. glad they didn't say that. Martha. Yeah. Oh, um, shit. I'm glad there was no Martha's in this movie. That that same tenet is why I like the way they flip Barbara, because different from Jamie Foxx's Electro, Electro was never liked even when he got his power. It was always used. Um, the whole Dreamstone idea was you get what you wish for, but we take away what's best from you. Barbara and Minerva, what was best about her was her compassion and her love of, of people and things, even when she was not appreciated. And that's what turned her evil and mean and, and, and dark because she wanted to be like Diana. And I thought that was really cool because you saw her descend. She got more and more, just like you saw with Diana, she got more and more attention from guys. And then there was the incident with the dude trying to get her in the park and Diana saved her. And more and more and more. And you can see in her mind, remember, the whole time, she's helping Diana. She still doesn't know Diana is, a, is one woman, but she's helping her. Diana calls her from damn Egypt on a payphone. Like, my God, the, like the, how much it had to cost at the time. But 
you know what I'm saying? Like, that's the type of stuff I was money thinking about. She called her. She called her. She called her collect, Ray. She called her collect. 10, 10, 10, 10, 220. Yeah, there you go. Uh, <laughs> Star 69. But she's still. Exactly. But she's still helping her. And it's not until the dude who tried to rape her in the park comes back. And she realizes, oh, this power feels good. When she flips. So again, there is very subtle storytelling and it's not banging you over the head. Oh, I'm evil. Oh, I'm evil. Oh, I'm evil. Every Everything about Barbara, to me, and maybe I'm just a mark, made yeah. sense. If I'm a mark, yes. If I'm I not, was treated it, like... Sense. I'm saying it's tropey. Like I'm just saying, we've seen it before. Like I mean, saying, but superhero movies are trope. Superhero movies are built to be tropey. Sure, but uh, yes. If, if 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 Dune is tropey, I'd be upset because that's not a movie meant to be tropey. Superhero movies are built to be tropey. That's the point of so, a superhero. So are you saying that the? I, I just think there was a better way to tell a Barbara Minerva origin story without it being I'm sad and lonely and need to be loved therefore must turn evil like that is we do this over and over and over again whether it's in you know whether it's the jamie fox electro thing whether it's the way otis is treated way back in superman where you know it's just it's always like it's just always a thing that gets leaned on to edward nigma in the shitty batman and robin or batman returns forever which one was it one of the, the crappy one with nipples. Um, no, one it, of the it was Batman Forever. That was the one with Jim Carrey. Right. I just, I'm tired of that trope and it didn't work for me. Like, and I, it's fine that it worked for you, Ray. Like, you can like tropes. You can like well, that one. Let me do one, one quick retort. One quick retort. And yes, if, if the conversation is you don't like tropes, I like tropes. I can accept that. But the fine, one retort, retort before we go to break. Yeah. One retort I think that's important to think about is, and in the context of a superhero movie, you must accept that there are elites and regular people. The movie doesn't work. The world doesn't work if you can't accept that. If you can't accept that some people have power, some people don't. I'm not even talking money. I'm talking about a higher level of consciousness and being. You cannot, ex you cannot watch the movie and enjoy it if you can't accept that part of the world. With that being said, I think it's less about I'm, lo I'm not loved, I am loved more i think it's more about there are people at the top and there are people at the bottom and the people at the bottom are forgotten about because everybody's looking at the people at the top i made in them think words, in the mortal <laughs> words of patrick go down okay all right we're gonna put a bow on that quick once around to the trio awesome. I came to okay what's funny what's is great great Created that as an insult on me, and I have now embraced it as my theme song. I love it so much. Anyway, once around the table to the three men who have watched this film already, someday Tony will get HBO Max to work on his device and he can give us his thoughts. On a scale of one to ten, we'll, we'll, we'll double the nerd review rating scale for the show. Your rating, I give it an above average six. David Dungar. Seven. I'll give it an eight. If she would have explained why she got that damn gold thing, I would give it an eight and a half. But that killed so much <laughs> movie for me. So six, seven, eight. Uh, there you go. Perfect.
If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. All right, folks. Well, there you have it. One half of a very special Bandwagon Nerd review edition of Bandwagon Nerds. We're going to take a quick commercial break. Before we do that, I need to remind you all to head over to ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash the chair shot and invest in a chairshot.com shirt. Whether it's the old school chairshot.com logo, whether it's the Bandwagon Nerds shirt, the winner, a winner is you shirt, or any number of our wonderful slogans, hashtag journalism, hashtag tag safe tag team wrestling everybody hates greg they're all there at a low low price of 19.99 or if you're feeling fancy spend a few dollars more and go soft style and feel just wonderful as you represent our lovely lovely brand if you love what we do if you love our shows if you enjoy hearing me out pc tunny's location or argue with ray cash over whether or not tropes are appropriate help us keep that content on the air by going to prowrestlingtees.com forward slash the chair shot and picking up a shirt today when we come back we are going to review the Disney Pixar flick Soul just released on Disney+. Plus. You're listening to Bandwagon Nerds on the ChairShot Radio Network, a part of the ChairShot.com. Lucha-Masks.com by Pro Wrestling Revolution. Bringing you in partnership with Mask Republic. The Lucha Brothers, as well as Japanese legend Ultimo Dragon. Go to lucha-masks.com and fight Lucha Strong with masks from your favorite Lucha Legends and Pro Wrestling Revolution Luchadores. Stay safe in style and represent your favorite Luchador. Get yours now at lucha-masks.com, powered by Pro Wrestling Revolution. This is your boy, Kenny Killer, telling you to make sure you check out TheChairShot.com, bringing you breaking news, interviews, podcasts galore, everything pro wrestling. Make sure you check it out, TheChairShot.com. TheChairShot.com. Always use your head. And we are back. Welcome back to the Bandwagon Nerds. Wow, I got all confused there with Ray doing the round of applause. Threw me off, got all discombobulated. We are back. Live studio audience, sir. Live studio audience was happy to see us, as always. There was a second movie that was released on Christmas Day. This time, Dave's going to kind of take a little bit of a backseat as we spoil the crap out of it. But I got Dave, I got to ask this question. Person to person. So this is this is uh, behind the curtain, everybody, per per the uh, the bandwagon nerds chat. Is the foundation of your relationship really that weak that if you had watched Soul without the misses that that things would have come tumbling down? Like <laughs> not tumbling down, but just- she was legitimately upset that I watched the last episode of Mandalorian without her. 
Well, right, rightfully so. Like. Yeah, I mean, I, and, and it's just like, I was like, well, you know, the, the puppies were with me. They were sleeping. Nobody was around. I was like, I got to watch this thing. And, and it, it was at the same time where you were talking about it and Tunny was talking about it and Ray hadn't seen it. And yeah, Ray's going with the yes. Uh, and I just said, well, I'm going to watch it. And yeah, it actually did upset her. So we watched Wonder Woman last it's- night and I just thought, man, you know, I probably should wait. I'm sure because she loves Disney Pixar. I mean, she's a bigger Disney fan than I. I mean, this is this the, you know her and my niece are the ones who go to downtown Disney, even though the fucking parks are closed, just to be close to it. So it's like, yeah, I don't think I'm going to take that chance. And I was concerned I wouldn't have time to get through it anyway. So that was another another so, factor. Hearing you describe that, like watching the Mandalorian episodes, the dogs asleep and no one's around, I immediately went to uh, the movie Tommy Boy, David Spade. Standing in the hotel room watching watching the woman swim. That's okay. No one's looking. <laughs> or no one's looking. that Green Day song. Speaking I was alone. No there was no one. I was all by myself. You know, that hidden song on Dookie. No one's looking. I was thinking of you. Something yeah, like I, I know that one too. By the anyway, way, Patrick, by the way, so. just, just uh, you know how last week you were mentioning how the Steelers were in free fall? It is 24 to yep. 7 Indianapolis right now. Oh, they are. It is devastating. And Wait, of course, my Bears. No. We Dominic. need them to win. You need the Steelers need to win? Them. Yes, because Indy got the same record. Yeah, or, Indy's, yeah. Indy's beating the shit out of them. The Bears are uh, are really fucking their draft pick up. That's all I'll say. Hey, gonna, you know what? And here's the thing is they're going to finish 8-8 eight because eight, next week, even though they ain't got nothing to really play for, the Packers are still going to thump the Bears next week because it's probably on national television too because that would be just my effing luck. I don't even know, but – it wouldn't surprise me, and I'm gonna be sitting here next week, be like, "I told you, I ain't gonna make the playoffs." Be in the middle of the fucking draft, and it's gonna be awful. By the way, we're we're, we're uh, recording as always on a Sunday, which is why all this football talk is coming up. So yeah, so Soul uh, dropped on Disney Plus, and unlike Wonder Woman 1984, I loved this movie. Uh, just absolutely loved it. Jamie Fox, um, Tina Fey as the uh, as the as the two kind of lead characters. Jamie Fox character is the uh, is the protagonist Joe, who is a is a teacher, a music teacher, who is kind of still holding out that hope to be part of a jazz quartet or, or part of a jazz band. He's trying to get from gig to gig, uh, much to the disapproval of his mother. He finally gets his big opportunity, is walking around town in celebration, falls into a manhole, and is transitioning, if you will. Realizes he's transitioning, tries to escape, finds himself among a bunch of uh, souls that have not yet been born yet in the great before where he is attached to uh, an as yet unborn soul known as 22 voiced by Tina Fey, who has managed to drive every mentor she's been attached to completely insane and gives up on them before she can find not her purpose as, as, as we learn, it's her spark. What is it that will help her realize that she is ready to transition and be born. And this is, this is a little bit different. You know, Ray, you talked about lessons involved in the movie. Wonder Woman 1984 was very much a be careful what you wish for kind of movie. 
this one to me was very much a appreciating, you know, recognizing the joy that you have in your life when you're living it and just taking a moment to, to love living and, and really taking advantage uh, of the time that you have uh, and not living it in regret. And I just, it's funny. I've seen a lot of folks on the social media be like, this isn't for little kids They're You know, they're not going to get it. My kid is eight and he totally got it. And got so it. I, I was like, I totally disagree with people who are like, this is, you know, too high. Kids are smarter than we give them credit for. And this movie, I thought it, you know, it, it read, he liked this better than Wonder Woman 1984. He was, he was in on this movie all the way through. Wonder Woman bored him a little bit. That's my opening salvo. Tony and Tony and Ray saw this one. So, okay. Um, so God, so much about this movie. It was, this movie is, and I don't use this term lightly, a masterpiece visually, emotionally, uh, from a plot standpoint, making you think as a think piece, um, voice acting wise, it was fantastic. It, It was just a true masterpiece. Um, I want to amend what you said just a minute ago, because, yes, it is about living and whatnot. But I think the most important part to take from it is something that I think a lot of our generation, speaking to us four in, in, the, in this call, on this show, we, uh, that we get messed up a lot. We conflate our passion with our purpose so often, and they are not the same thing. Our purpose in life ultimately is to just live the shit out of it and joe thought his purpose was to play music and just like dex or des i can't remember if it was dex or des the barber he thought that dude's purpose was to cut hair he just was so close-minded that he thought everybody's purpose was to do what they were doing because they were good at it and that ain't the case bro and i think that's a beautiful lesson to learn especially for our children um just go live, man. Like you don't owe anybody shit. Just go live. Um, and I think it was beautifully shown. And I, I really enjoyed if you can call them an antagonist, but the ghost from the great, uh, from the great before Tadui or Tani or whatever his name was. Terry. Terry. And I, I really enjoyed how, and he's not an antagonist if you know, but whatever. Um, how him and the forgive me for remembering I'm terrible with remembering names shit like this. The Jerry's. It was the, the Jerry's. The Jerry's and then Terry was the counter. Yes. Right. The Jerry's learned from Joe because Joe learned from twenty two. It was a really it was really cool to see twenty two just like completely as he got back into Joe's body, completely aloof. And learning as he went, and Joe trying to stop him as the, that like that my kids love that, but it, it again it's just I love how Pixar makes you look at things through a different spectrum, through a different set of eyes, right? Because the beauty of this movie was Joe got a chance to look at his life from a different set of eyes. When he gets done with the haircut, uh, Dex is like, "Man, I'm so glad you didn't talk to me about jazz. You know, this is the best conversation we've ever had." And Joe and the cat is like, oh, shit, you know, he, he the subway and the fact that uh, the person yelled at him, yelled at Joe or 22 
And he took that as an uh, interesting and a, and, a, and a good experience, whereas most of us have been like, well, fuck that dude. You know, just the, the beauty of li- him laying on the on the damn grape where the, the wind was coming out of is just a beautiful way to remember that we take so much for granted. We take so much for granted in life when it's okay to just enjoy the little shit. And the fact that uh, Terry was so obsessed with taking taking things back to the status quo and the Jerry's were like, no, nah, fuck that. You show me something different. Go on and live your life. Just think it's a beautiful message, man. And, uh, you know, I don't want to continue to bloviate about this because, like, it's, it's just a beautiful movie. I enjoyed it. I thought visually it was something very unique, the way they created the afterlife or the transition into the afterlife. Um, the way they kind of made the Jerry's and Terry uh, almost 2D was, was pretty cool. Um, so, so that way, you know, the, the, the graphically and, and taking it in through your eyes was spectacular to me, something different, in, and as, as well as the storyline. It was something different, right? Like how many remakes and retells of different stories have we had? Now, granted, you could probably compare this to a couple different movies and, and things of that nature. But this one was was unique into its own that he had to mentor an incoming soul, right? And right. the way they casted this was excellent. And the way that they made fun of the fact that Tina Fey was voicing this character as well inside of the movie was 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 hilarious. I mean, the writing... And casting, I, I always praise good quality viewing experiences with those two things. I think they go hand in hand along with something being quality. So this was was the same as always as far as that standard goes. It, it's just another home run for Disney. Um, like you said, I mean, this is this is the holiday movie. It's not Wonder Woman 1984. It's Soul. And it was well done. And I want to I add one more thing real quick. One more thing. I don't know what it is about Pixar and Disney together, both companies, but they have found the it's it is a, the genius, masterful way to make cultural movies seem all encompassing. When you watch Moana, you don't think I got to be Polynesian to understand it. It's just a good fucking movie. You know, when you watch Scottish, when you watch Mulan, I don't have to be Asian. When you watch Soul, Soul is a black movie. And you don't think once watching that movie, damn, I got to be black to, to appreciate this. It's just a good-ass movie. And I, I think that's important to note because we're in a world now where so many people don't want to, uh, to understand or accept the fact that everybody's story needs to be told. And Pixar found a way to tell the story that was never told from a perspective that has never been told from before and make it feel like it's everybody's story that's a skill i uh i think there are two protagonists in this film and and i think that you know the relationship between 22 and joe it is really it's it's special in the way that in the way that it's built and that they need each other to be able to take whatever that next step is, is going to be, even if it was by accident, you know, I think that through the mishap of of Joe trying to get back to his own body in 22, not getting, you know, not wanting to, and being, you know, forced to, you know, see that and experience it. They both helped each other see one, like, as you mentioned, Ray, 
where Joe got it wrong, but it also helps 22 see that, yeah, she really was, she was really, she really was ready to, to experience that her own and kind of make her own story as well. And it's just, it, it was, it was beautiful. It was really well done. Both this film and Wonder Woman 1984 give me real belief that the movie theater won't be dead. Because I want to go back, and I want to go back to what Tawny talked about in terms of the art of this film. If this film had been released in a theater, it would have been in 3D. We would have watched it with glasses, and the and the contrast between the two-dimensional characters, and it's important that those characters are two-dimensional. That's not an accident by any stretch, because there's something missing from those from those characters, and, and you know the counselors see it. And grow from it, whereas Terry doesn't necessarily grow from it. Like literally has to be distracted from his counting so that they can mess him up. Uh, so that then we can come back and, and Joe can go back. And it just would have looked be- it would have been gorgeous. And so the art's not dead. 3D is legitimately one of very few reasons to go to a movie theater, considering right. the size of the screen you can put in your home, where you can sit in proximity the sound you can create at home, right? I mean, it's, it's you can get the 3D stuff at home, but it's really, really, really expensive, right? And it's, it's not, really, the, and it's not the same. I mean, they have not, so, as far as technologies go, 3D is not one that they've mastered. I mean, like Sony had like a special thing a couple years ago, a special TV and glasses that you could get, and I had it, and it was all right, but it's it's nowhere near because I'm the guy that goes to the Star Wars movies and watches them in 3D because that's mm-hmm. to me how a Star Wars movie should be watched. So I totally get that Patrick, I can I 100% get behind you and appreciate right. the, that you brought that up. That's I mean, could you imagine what they could have done with them diving into the hole and and Oh yeah. Any, like you could have everything with that and the Jerry's and the Terry's could have popped out while everything else stayed behind, right? That would have been great. Exactly. A number of things they could have done with this movie visually with the 3D would have been excellently phenomenal. And who knows? Maybe down the line, this is where the money is made is here we go. Here's a re-release. Go watch it in 3D. Right. Well, and I can't imagine this film doesn't get re-released. Like, do you guys I, think, I let me instant class. Do you guys think like VR is going to go as as the means of replicating that 3D experience at home? It wouldn't that's surprise a, me. That's a place, like, I think right? that's, that's just, yeah. Yeah. Excuse me. Hold on. Was um, yeah, Dave, I, I think that eventually we'll get there with the technology. I think that's just where we're going. Animation, by the way, has always been the forefront of three dimensional te- technology in, in films. Uh, and it just it's so it's such a different different experience in the way that animation has embraced that in film and that technology and film to be able to use and, and even retconning and, and certain action movies. Like, I think this is what I think is interesting. Like when you look at like a superhero flick, the, the transition from 3d to 2d say, when you get that home theater experience, you can notice it sometimes uh, in particular in, in like this or just sort of the quality of special effects, just about any animated film. You don't one of the best three dimensional experiences I ever had at a theater as I went and watched a re-release the Lion King uh, in 3D. 
And they created an effect where Zazu, at the very opening of the movie, if you remember, he's flying through the he's flying through the Pride Lands to get to Pride Rock, and they created the illusion that Zazu was like flying over your head, and it it still to this day blows my mind how well that's done. And they do this almost casually nowadays in animated films. And they are always pushing the boundary of what can be done. In an, and, and what happens is, is animated features do it, and then live-action films replicate it and make it so for their flicks. It's amazing. Just a quick tidbit. Fav- uh, animated movie or not, favorite movie of all time right here, Lion King, BT-dubs. Also, I, this is going to make you guys laugh, but you guys know the greatest movie I've ever seen in 3D? What's that? Ernest Goes Step- Down Camp. No, but that's a fantastic movie. I'm a earnest. I'm a earnest mark. Uh, Step up, 3D. Yeah, dance movie. It was fantastic because it was it was made for 3D because it's called Step Up 3D. So like so many parts of while they're dancing, things ha- uh, a drink spilt, like a Slurpee spilt, and like you saw the stuff fly in the air. It, it was beautiful, and like I've seen dozens of them, and that's the only one I can remember. Avatar. Avatar. Um, <laughs> I was going to say uh, Avatar. At the time, the only problem I had with Avatar, and this is something that happens with me with 3D technology in general, and I don't know, Tony, if, if I don't know if you have glasses like I do, like I wear glasses, it it does. If I'm watching a 3D film for too long, the strain on my eyes and wearing them over glasses can be a, a little bit much. Um, and can give me some fatigue when I'm watching a film. And that was my only problem with Avatar is Avatar was just so long that by the time we got to the end, I had to keep pulling the 3D three-dimensional glasses down because my eye strain was so much that I needed to recover to be able to see it. But it was like I don't like that movie at all. It's you know, white saviorism to the to the nth degree and you know, Native American guilt, like just all <laughs> all kinds of stuff, but it was gorgeous. It was just absolutely gorgeous. And I have never so seen thing. Avatar. What? Okay. It's okay, man. Ray. It's not, a, it's a beautiful movie, but it's not a very good movie. Right. It's, it's just, it's, it's loaded with white guilt. It's loaded with white savior stuff. Like it's just not a good avatar is not a good movie. And I will fight anyone who says otherwise, uh, James Cameron shot a beauty. It's a beautiful thing to look at. It is not a good story. Terrible. Just well, I can't remember the the name of the element that they're going for is like unobtainium or something. Like it's some <laughs> stupid ass whatever. And it's like greedy corporate white guys taking over these Native Americans, and yet white people are like possessing the bodies of these Native Americans, and the only one who can save them is a white dude in one of the natives' bodies. Like it's just. So is a so is a Scarlett Johansson movie. Oh yeah, totally. So sorry, I'm I'm sorry, Scarlett. This does segue nicely into a a a question I I almost hesitate to ask. I was a little afraid to ask, but I did read a negative review about Soul from somebody who gave it a C, uh, and their complaint was that they argued that it was a bit of a white savior flick, in the sense that. The voice of a white woman is in the body of a black dude and her living through his life. 
shows him the way and saves him. Now, Ray has already fallen back in his chair and Tunny has a finger up. So we'll go with Tunny first and then we'll let Ray go. Tunny. Ray, I'll, I'll just give them first the part of the movie that tells you why the voice is like that. <laughs> Please do. Yes, explain and to them. Because, because they actually they actually have the question of 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 why does your voice sound like that? Because 22 is not a male or a female. It's just a soul. It hasn't determined what sex it is yet. And 22 decides that it, it's easiest for 22 and it's the most annoying for others because 22 gives you a number of different voices that it could also use. So I think that's just someone having a take to have a take to get noticed personally. Ray, I, I feel like you're going to run with this along the same lines as me, maybe not quite the same, but a little bit different, but nearing the same kind of, um, you know, uh, thought Absolutely. process. Same thought process. That's that's strictly them looking at strictly them looking at the casting and saying, "Oh, well, they they could have casted a, white, a black person." No, and and to to your, to further your point, Tony, when twenty two finally does go to Earth, what country does she land in? China. What the fuck are you talking about? I I got nothing. It was just yeah. I mean, hell yeah. I just um, I thought it was interesting. And I knew I wanted to get your takes on it. I agree with you guys. I think that the movie went out of its way to explain how that universe worked. Right? Sorry, I muted myself by accident. That was my fault. Um, and just how that all came together in a way that was very sensical. And it's it's funny. I kept referring to 22 as a she. I should be referring to 22 as they. Because they don't. You're right, Tony. They don't have an identity yet. Well, because they, they have sounds, it. They sounds they is plural, so it would be more of a. Well, it, this is this is my this is my student affairs um, education and and training and and all of that. Uh, they is actually allowed to be a singular pronoun. It, it can be considered a singular pronoun. The Reverend's family is making the an appearance. Reverend's Hello, family. Reverend's family. All right, Ray. I guess you're not a virgin after all. He's got the. Their moms. Their moms must be real good looking. Oh. <laughs> I got lucky, sir. Lucky, sir. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that. Other highlights for me: uh, the voice cast. You mentioned the voice cast, Ray. Questlove, great. Uh, Angela Bassett. Angela Bassett. Uh, Felicia Rashad. Is My God, bro. Small. It's so it is is so great. And that moment, by the way, where he finally has the courage to talk to her through 22 and tell her what playing means to him and for her to show up and you get all you get the like you get the warm fuzzies, right? Like it's it's nice right in the feels. And can we give some love? And this is going to sound crazy, but you know who arranged all of the music? Trent Reznor. Oh, Trent Reznor is a hell of a musician. It's not much of a surprise, though. He's been doing a lot of this kind of thing for a while, though, hasn't he? I'm I'm not shocked musically. I am shocked that he is so musically talented that he he worked with John Batiste from Stephen Colbert. But right. jazz is a very difficult um, genre to play because it's strictly improvisational. I know Trent Reznor is one of the best musicians on the planet, but like. Listen to the listen to the um to the jazz, you oh, know. Yeah. It's, it, it's beautiful, beautiful and shout out to both of them. Yeah, it's that's crazy. Yeah, there's more to Trent Reznor than closer. 
That's for damn sure. <laughs> or hurt. And, and a personal and a personal little thing that made me smile, by the way, Graham Norton as the voice of Moonwind, the guy driving the the ship around who goes into a trance every time he spins signs for whatever street corner store in New York he's working for. Just good, good stuff. Love Graham Norton. All right, fellas, same question to the to the two of you uh, around the table. Scale of one to ten, where are you giving this movie? I give it a nine and a half. I, I very rarely give a perfect ten. It's almost there. For me, it's a nine and a half. Uh, Ray, why don't you why don't you take this one? We'll let Tony we'll let Tony wrap it. You wrap it for the last movie, so. I'm with you, man. Nine and a half. It's really hard to give a ten, and it's really close. But just to not be too much of a mark, I'm gonna give it a nine and a half. Very good, Mister Tony. Yeah, I I like that right in that area where you guys are. I mean, maybe I would go 9.6 just to say that it's a, it's like it's less than a half a point away from being the top, you know, not that I'll do you guys or anything, but I, I agree with you, right? Like it's right there. It, this is an instant classic. This is something that people will be watching for a long time. This eventually will be up there with the likes of the Lion King, um, uh, you know, Aladdin, things of that nature. Wally, Toy Story, like this is a movie. If you're a fan of animated movies with a purpose, like this is one you need to watch. I have a question this, for you guys then. Go ahead. Is this the best Disney Pixar film of all time? <sighs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to jump in and say no, only because you cannot have Disney Pixar without Toy Story. The importance of what that means to the, to the sure. genre outweighs anything the soul could ever do but it's right there with it in terms of cinematically and from a plot it's right there with toy story right uh for me i would say no i'm, I'm kind of with ray it's right up there at the top i think my all-time favorite pixar movie is uh is inside out actually um and you want to talk about movies to watch with your kids to help them explain complicated stuff uh inside out really worked for for me and is a movie that's still legit now to watch with my kid and then wally like just it's just a love story and it's a it's so simple and innocent and beautiful i love wally uh so those are my those are my tops to me finding nemo is their best um and toy story is like that like quarter step behind that for me personally. And then I think behind that you take a step back and you have like the Incredibles and Monster Inc. and Wally and things of that nature, maybe a bug's life. I'm just kind of looking over some stuff because the the list is vast, right? Of, of great things. And this is nothing against things I'm not mentioning, but I would say it's right there behind, with the Incredibles and Monsters and 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 Wally right after Finding Nemo and Toy Story. What what's truly crazy is that there's I can honestly even a bad Pixar movie is a pretty darn good Pixar movie. Even Cars isn't a terror like isn't bad. I love Cars. cars like car, I love like, Cars. Look, car, and economically for Disney, you could put Cars right at the top of the list. To be honest with oh, you, oh yeah, like Cars was bang. I'll tell you the movie. That's, cars is fantastic. Cars movie, two is bad. Yeah, Cars is fantastic. <laughs> the movie I really like a lot that's underrated is Up. I love Up. Yeah, up has up has one of the most you know heart wrenching ten minute openings of all time. A bigger fan of a Bug's Life or Ants? Bug's Life. Bug's Life. 
Yeah. Me now, uh, I now it's now it's it's Bugs Life. It used to be Ants. I used to think Ants was. I I still think Ants is an underrated movie. Uh, how about Woody Allen's how about a Cream? How about a B movie? It's not a bad movie. It's all right. It's not a bad movie. I enjoy it, but it's it's not it's anyway, not a Bugs Life. Just wondering. Just wondering. No, that's cool. So yeah, there you have it, folks. That's our our special double dip nerd review edition of Bandwagon Nerds. Last I, last topic for today. It's 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 a melancholy Happy Trails week, as as we talk about this here on the twenty seventh. For for multiple reasons. So we're recording the show on the twenty seventh. For you know those of you who are loyal listeners to the Chair Shot, obviously we we do a lot of news with you know as Tony likes to say, it's you know we, we talk about wrestling, we talk about sports, we talk about entertainment, we talk about sports entertainment. And yesterday I saw it early in the afternoon. The news broke that John Huber, um, also known as Brody Lee, had, had passed away. Earlier that day, we had lost another death in the world of professional, or we lost another person in the world of professional wrestling, Danny Hodge, who, uh, for those of you who followed old school NWA, he was a big deal in the 50s and 60s, uh, was the first professional wrestler on the cover of Sports Illustrated, and was renowned for his unusual like strength of grip could crush apples with his bare hands, and so lost him first and was going to do the melancholy happy trails thing for him. And then we got news of John Huber. We got news of Brody Lee. And this to me, guys, I don't know. And, and we're going to, everybody's going to give their thoughts on this one. Obviously first wrestler that I can think of that I saw live and in person on multiple occasions that, that passed away. And, and very suddenly, like, no, I did not like, I don't think anybody knew that he wasn't doing well. And, you know, he kind of quietly, fell off of uh you know he left uh aew television in october and and i hadn't really heard much about him or heard anything from him until the news broke and the it was it's just it's kind of a gut punch for you know folks in the business uh for fans fans of him you know i i will it was no accident that he looked like bruiser brody uh and and his look and his act and, and he I don't know, he was great. And by all accounts, he was a family man who, you know, the outpouring that has come from the wrestling community, whether it's people working with him on the indies to AEW to the WWE. Vince McMahon put out a full statement uh, about his passing. So, he, you know, he wasn't necessarily the main event guy all the time. But he was clearly made of it in a lot of people's books outside of the ring. And so thoughts on Brody Lee. Uh, anybody can go first on this one. I'll just say that uh, it's uh, one of the most classic lyrics in music history. Only the good die young comes to mind because uh, there was never a bad word said about this man. And maybe that's more impressive than anything. I, I feel thrilled to death now that he was the TNT champion. Um, that he got to experience that. I feel so horrible for his family um, and his fans. And on a separate note, you know, they say these come in three, and it's not wrestling, but it's the sporting world. Phil Necro passed today as well. So, wow, I had not seen that. I mean, 2020, why why shouldn't it go out, you know, like, like it, you know, 
like it started at the beginning of the year. So hopefully to better things. And, you know, it's not that we're unaware that people don't pass and times don't expire and things of that nature and the world keeps moving. But this one, like you said, Patrick, this was tough. It was unexpected. It was not the, not the, not the immense capacity of like a Chadwick Boseman passing, but kind of like that surprise where like he'd been dealing with this and you didn't really know about it. Right. Right. So I, it's tough. It's funny you mentioned Chadwick because that's what it felt like. It just came out of nowhere with a, a just punch to the gut. Like Patrick said, um, yeah, John Huber, Luke Harper, Brody Lee, whatever you want to call him. Yeah, 41, that's ridiculous. And, and I mean, they and they had to stress it was non-COVID related, so it makes you kind of wonder, okay, what exactly happened with his lungs? Um, but yeah, I mean, Family Man, better, who was it? One of these guys who said, I think it was Triple H, said amazing talent, better husband, better father, better friend. Um, and I think that really sums it up well. He was a... He was an immense talent. You know, he never accomplished what I think any of us wanted him to in WWE. Was on his way there with AEW. Um, None of that stuff really matters at this point in time, whether whether he got a push or didn't. It's just a big loss to his family, to his friends, to to the industry as a whole. And, uh, yeah, it's great that, you know, no one's got a bad word to say about him. uh, Bray Wyatt penned a really great tribute to him on Instagram. That's fantastic. Um it just, yeah, I mean, there, there's no words for this thing. He was, uh, he was something else. And I know he was, um, <laughs> he was a, a fan of like the Washington sports team. So I immediately gravitated to him because, Hey, kindred spirit, suffering soul. Like right. I am. Yeah. It's just at 41. It's, it's, it's insane. It's just insane to think that he's gone, um, just out of nowhere. So uh, yeah, my condolences to his family and friends and supporters and everybody and rest in peace. Um, you know, if you watch Inside the NBA, Shaq always talks about how a championship a championship team is nothing without the others. You know, speaking of, you can have a superstar, but if you don't have a Robert Ory or a Brian Shaw or a Derek Fisher, those those other people that step up and do the work that the superstars can't or don't need to do, you don't have a team. And Brody Lee. John Huber was probably one of the best of the others. Um, Bray Wyatt will be the first person to tell you that there is no Bray Wyatt and no Wyatt family without Luke Harper. Um, the Dark Order will tell you that they were languishing and almost were released into a Brody game. So much of... I, I saw... I read a story that the whole reason Colin Delaney got a run in WWE is because Brody was brought in to do some extra work and he just brought Delaney with him, said, you know what, what, what the hell? And Delaney did a, he did a, a, a squash match, did a job and ended up getting a run just because he was like, I want to look out for my boy. That's just the type of person he was. Um, but it's, I think it's important to note and Tony pointed out to it, you know, so often we see people die and of course people are going to not be rude. But very rarely do you see somebody die, and there is literally not one. It's not even negative words. It's people are devastated, and the devastation of which of what this man's death has has brought to the wrestling world and the sports world. I mean, the Leafs put out some uh, some some love for him because he was a big Leafs fan. Sports Center put it out. Um, the Washington Football Team did too. 
So yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> I think that goes to show two things to me. Number one, the measure of a man this dude was very clearly. I don't think anybody he ever came in contact with clearly loved the guy. But number two, and most importantly, it doesn't really fucking matter if you are the biggest star in your sport or the last dude to sneak in. All that matters is how you treat people. It's it's almost a mentality of wear clean underwear every day because you never know when you're going to get in an accident and you got to go to the hospital, right? And like, it, it's weird to say this and it's going to be funny to hear, but like as a person, Luke Harper clearly wore clean underwear every single day. And I think that's the biggest compliment you could give someone yep. as a person. Yep. That, that now I think that's the perfect way to put a bow on it. Yes, the guy with the dirty ass undershirt. <laughs> right. Well, he wore as clean a person, underwear every day. Person he wore clean underwear every day. There you go. Well, and on that note, if you have a glass, raise your glass. Here's to Brody Lee, John Huber. Happy trails. I don't have a glass today, but happy. The other melancholy anniversary that uh, that uh, I feel necessary to know today because this is bandwagon nerds is that four years ago we also lost Carrie Fisher, and um, that one still really uh, hits me oddly enough. Like as I try to hold it together here for a second, um, and she lived a full life, like literally through a ringer full life. Um, <laughs> True. But I will I will still never forget, you know, we talk about why. Oh no. So I don't know I don't know where that cut out. Fucking internet. But Rogue One, right at right after she passed, and it was like the first thing that I caught. One, not knowing she was in the movie, um, in any capacity, whether it was just a recording of her voice or if it was actually her voice. But to hear it and to see it um, made the end of that movie special uh, and probably made that movie special to me. And, and she was she was so much more than Star Wars. She was an amazing writer. She was a script doctor. There are so many scripts that you of films that you see and love that she punched up or wrote or made better. Postcards from the Edge is a is a is uh, is her work and it is it is all about her life and experiences done through comedy and and for me outside of her star wars role i i always love thinking about her and i can't remember which one of you jokers is the one that's not big on the blues brothers but if you haven't seen carrie fisher standing in a dark alleyway sewer tunnel i can't even remember what holding a machine gun trying to shoot down john belushi <laughs> you just not. so um i still miss carrie fisher uh and uh today is you know just sucks it sucks that we lost her to it feels like it was too soon even though she lived a a, a pretty long happy life it was too soon i loved her in uh when harry met sally that's that's the role that she was yep. underrated in I thought, because she was so good in that. Thoughts, gentlemen? Anything else? Uh, um, I, I just want to say, I, I don't, I don't want to get, you're already emotional, and I can feel it, and my heart goes out to you, man. Well, um, I mean, I, I didn't know her, but... Sure, but I mean, it doesn't yeah. matter. 
if we know these people or not because we feel like we know them. I like I cried harder for Stuart Scott dying than I did for my grandfather who raised me. So like it is what it is. You can't right. you can't help how people resonate with you. But the thing that I think about with Carrie and her death is I suffer from severe sleep apnea and I think about her regularly because I'm terrified that if I don't get my shit together and it, you know what could happen, I'm, you know, I'm 32. So who knows if I don't get this shit straight, when, if anything will flip negative for me and I already, it's already affected me. I mean, Tony will tell you how many times he had to call me and wake me up for a show, you know? Um, but, uh, so, you know, she has a special place in my heart. Um, probably different than the place she has in yours. And I'm sure Pat, but, I just I think about her often and she is somebody that motivates me in many ways but if nothing else in a way just to just to get healthy man you know and to look out for yourself and check yourself out because I know we can laugh and joke and a lot of people do about my sleep apnea but ultimately like millions of people have the shit and die from it and it's a silent fucking killer and people don't even know they fucking have it so, like, you know, check yourself out, man. Whatever it is, cancer, uh, your lungs, asthma, get your COVID test. Just be smart, man. We, we spoke about soul and about how our purpose is just living your fucking life. Go live your life, but the only way you can live it is to go get your shit checked out, man. Well said. Preach, Reverend. Preach. All right, fellas. Well, before we go, it's time for Patrick O'Dowd as a question. As I mentioned, we are recording this on the 27th. So by the time we come back, it will no longer be 2020. It will be 2021. Where's the live studio How? audience for that? Uh, you mean they're, they're thrilled? Yes, they should be. Here, wait real quick. 2020. Twenty twenty one. All right, they're on board. So, how I, I I don't believe in New Year's resolutions. Uh, I think you know make changes in your life when you need to make changes in your life. Greg Demarco actually talked about this on this past week's edition of Greg Demarco show of the Greg Demarco show, uh, and I'm I'm in agreement with him. Like. And Ray, I think that, you know, you talked about it. It's very apropos. Like I always think about how my life changed as after I was diagnosed with diabetes and was like, I need to, to change my shit. Uh, I didn't change my shit New Year's Day. Uh, you know, I made the decision and moved forward. So I'm more along the lines of how do you, how are you going to spend your New Year's Eve, New Year's Day? In this, you know, COVID environment. That's, well, that's, an easy, that's an easy answer for me. Can I jump in? You can jump in. Because I have a feeling I know what your answer is, but go. Cobra Kai season three, baby. That's <laughs> Let's go. I, was I knew that was going to be yours. Such great news, man. I'm, I'm right there with you. I can't watch it. I can't wait to watch it. Uh, New Year's Day. Dave, watch Cobra Kai. That you can watch without the wife. You won't even get in trouble. You won't get in trouble. You can just watch without her. <laughs> she don't go. like it. She thought it was boring. Yeah, she she might like it, but uh No, don't just don't tell her. I won't tell her. Wait. 
when the dogs are when yeah. that dogs are sleeping. When the dogs are sleeping to sneak in. Disney, what the fuck? Go watch Cobra Kai. Sneak off somewhere with a darkened room and watch Cobra Kai. <laughs> I don't know if you get lost in the dark, man. That's a whole Friends listen to endless love in the dark, you know? Right. Yeah, right. I, I knew I that popped was Tony on I that one. You knew that was a good one. I knew that was gonna be your number one. Oh man, I uh <laughs> I got like a full work schedule for New Year's Eve. It's like everybody who filed for hearings, it's like the court punishes you. Oh, you had the fucking audacity to file in December. Guess when you guys are going to be here? New Year's Eve. It's like, and I like look at the judges like when we used to be there in person, like, you know, you guys are just fucking yourselves over. Right. But I got a full work day on New Year's Eve and I, I don't, I don't even know what's going to happen New Year's Day. So oh, Bob. Uh, we'll see. But yeah, <laughs> New Year's Eve is going to be kind of lame this year. I, uh, boy, you know, you get to a certain age and New Year's Eve is almost amateur hour. So you kind of find ways to entertain yourself, which is excellent. Not to say I haven't had a lot of fun being out and about on New Year's Eve, but, uh, I, I have to work New Year's day. So I, I don't know. I'll probably, maybe I'll save 1984 for New Year's Eve and, you know, watch a, watch a disappointing movie to end a disappointing year. So it was disappointing to everybody. Ray liked it. <laughs> Sir, was it just a joke? Not a joke. Just a joke. <laughs> I know. Uh, 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 uh. It was a shitty joke, just like 2020 was a shitty year. There you go. There you go. So I, I'm going to, I'm going to sit. I'm going to pour myself a, a glass of scotch, and I'm going to watch Alabama beat the ever living shit out of Notre Dame, oh, and love every single second of it. I I want that I want Notre Dame stomped into the ground with a heel dug in, and then I want to watch Clemson beat Ohio State. Uh, probably not as soundly, but still pretty soundly because I'm not buying Ohio State at all as a as a contender. But college football playoff for as much as I'm hypocritical about whether or not I feel sports should happen, I'm there for the college football playoff. I'm there to watch these four teams play and I'm there for an Alabama Clemson rematch. Cause part I mean, seven or whatever it is. Part know, seven. Just, just pencil it in Alabama Clemson, the return, 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 return. Alabama and Clemson is like Tanahashi and Okada in the dome. Like every year. <laughs> You don't get Okada Tanahashi. You don't get Okada Tanahashi. That shit is bank. Shit is bank. You telling me that's not going to be a fun game to watch? Hey, Ray, Ray, just Rock versus Roman. Just so you know, Ray, Pittsburgh came back and took the lead. Let's go. Did they really? They did. How does it feel to root for the Steelers? That's like me rooting for the Cowboys or some shit like that. It's got to be painful. Cleveland's down four to the Jets as well. Yeah. The greater good, my are brother. The Chief, are the, the Chiefs still losing? Good. They were losing to freaking Kansas. Uh, no, they're winning. they're winning. We close out the show. Young Hoku is lining up to tie the game from 39 yards. Hopefully the Chiefs won't take a timeout, and we can just go ahead and tell you what happens here. Here's the snap. No timeout called. The kick is true. No. Last second. It's wide right. Kansas City will have the ball with nine <laughs> seconds left. This game is it's over. Scott Norwood it's all over again. It's hilarious. hilarious. It looked great until the last 10 yards, and the, it got to, like, the goal line and went whoop, whoop. It's, oh, a, it's, a, it's Atlanta. What do you expect? That's great. Yeah. Great snap. You hate to see it. All great. right, folks. Well, that's going to do it for this week's edition of Bandwagon Nerds. 
David Ungar, tell them where they can find you on the social media, my friend. You can find me on Twitter at AttitudeAGG and on Facebook.com slash Attitude of Aggression. And hopefully the Washington football team will honor Mr. Brody Lee with a divisional championship clinching victory today. Excellent. Thank you very much, Mr. Tunney. Well, you can find me in St. Louis rolling on dub smoke. Wait, no, never mind. Um, <laughs> in shoulder shrugs, you can find me at PC Tunney and all over the chairshot.com and chairshot radio. New Year's Day, it begins. Shit, we should do something about that, Dave. <laughs> we got a few days to think about it. We do. Welcome to Hockey Talk with Patrick O'Dowd and David Ongar. We're going to talk about hockey. You got to talk about how the how the Capitals have no backup goaltender. Is that what we're going to talk about? Hey talk guys. about how Alexander Steam is devastating to the St. Louis Blues. What if we talk about hockey on our walkie talkies? This is well, PC Tony talking about hockey on my walkie talkie over and out. Patrick O'Dowd. Very good, very good. No big whoop. All right, Ray Ray Cash, save us. I don't have a Boston accent, so I'm sorry. Um, uh, but yeah, you can catch me at It's Ray Cash, R-E-Y as in Mysterio, C-A-S-H as in Dollars, um, Park the Car in Harvard Yard. It's not bad. Yeah, Harvard. You gotta get the, ah. Gotta go oot in, gotta go oot oot in a boot, man. Oh, so I'm, I'm Canadian now? <laughs> right. That too. No, yeah, just check your boy in Chair Shot, yeah. We got, hey, Thursdays on Chair Shot Radio, what's up? All right. Well, you can listen to me, uh, Patrick O'Dowd, every Monday, every Wednesday, Monday on the Bandwagon Nerds podcast, every Wednesday on the Greg DeMarco show with Greg DeMarco and Miranda Morales. Follow me on Twitter at Wrestling Realist. That is at W-R-A-S-T-L-N-G-R-E-A-L-I-S-T. You can also follow Bandwagon Nerds at Bandwagon Nerds, just like it's spelled. We've been trying to get a little bit more activity on there, sharing some information, so be sure to follow us there. Read the Nerd Review drops every Thursday. We wrapped up our holiday edition by covering a Christmas story where, Dave, I'm surprised you didn't give me a harder time about my ranking, but thank you for, for being so kind. <laughs> You're well, well, you are the East German judge, so I mean, I mean, give it a four, four or five. I thought it was gonna be like 4.43 4. or something like that, you know. You're, nah, you're... nah nothing, nothing weird this time around, but make sure you give that a read. That can all be found on the chairshot.com along with this podcast as a part of the chairshot radio network. You heard Dave and I joke about it, we will be part of the chairshot radio podcast, also, Dave and Patrick. We're not quite sure what we're going to talk about. A little bit of sports, a little bit of nerd stuff, sports and nerd stuff. It'll be great. Looking forward to doing it. We'll eventually get around to recording it. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Bandwagon Nerds. Now get yourself out of the basement. Get some sun. Jump on those streaming services. Check out Wonder Woman 1984. Check out Soul. You'll be glad that you did. You've been listening to Bandwagon Nerds on the ChairShot Radio Network, a part of the ChairShot.com.
Dr. Borgensen will be matched with soul number 22. Oh, we're going to get into this now. Excuse me. 22, you come out of this dimension right now. How many times do I have to tell you? I don't want to go to Earth. Stop fighting this place. I don't want to. Go to Earth and have a life. 22 has been at the U Seminar for quite some time and has had such notable mentors as Gandhi, Abraham Lincoln and Mother Teresa. <laughs> I made her cry. Ignore that. We're truly glad to have you here, Dr. Borgensen. It is an honour having you prepare 22 for Earth. I'm going to make you wish you never died. Most people wish that, 22. <laughs> Off you go. Bye. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.